0: We've been talking about what it takes for us to make room for what God wants to do here at Abundant Life Church, whether it's on our campus, whether it's in our own lives, uh, what what all that means to us. Several years ago, I read a book by author Simon Sinek, and, and the name of the book was Start With Why. And what he did is he did a bunch of research into organizations, into businesses, into companies into even churches, uh, groups of people, anybody that was doing anything. And he did a lot of research, a lot of study, and he discovered that the most successful businesses, companies, organizations, churches, people uh, were people who were, were the ones who asked a simple question, Why? Why are we doing this? And even he discovered it even works for people as well, for us as human beings. is the simple question, why? As in, why are we doing this? Why are we making this product? Why are we marketing the way we are? Like, why in everything that we do? I'm a big believer in this as well, that there needs to be a purpose and, and a plan for everything we do. Otherwise, we're just spinning our wheels oftentimes, right? We just do what seems to be the next thing to do. And uh, so the thing is, as far uh, for us moving forward in this journey of making room, it needs to be more than about a building. It needs to be more than the money that is needed to build the new facility and building we're planning for the front of uh, this side of the, our current building to make room for more people. It needs to be about the why. Why are we doing this? Why, why do we do what we do as a church? Why do you do what you do as a person, as a father, a husband, mother, wife, anybody? Why do you do the things you do? Well, it has to do with vision. It has to do with your purpose, your meaning, why you're here. Why do we even need to add on to our campus? Good question. We've been answering that for the last couple months. Why... Why do we care about people enough that we want to make room for more people on our campus? Why do we need a bigger and a better space for lobby and fellowship area? I mean, we, we have a nice, wonderful patio. Why do we need more room? Because we have June, July, and August, and September in Florida. And it's really hot outside. So we need to cover it up, make it Make it even better. Why do we care that the youth in our church have more and a bigger space for ministry impact so that they can reach more people in our community, more students with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then we ask ourselves, each one of us, why would I participate and sacrifice of my life and my resources in this kind of a project? the why. Well, the answer to that one, the truth is only you can answer that one. Only you know why you do or why you should or why you shouldn't participate in what we're doing here as a church. See, making room for more people here, our building and our facility, starts with us making room here in our heart for more people. That's where it starts. Because If we don't do this, we don't need that. It's the ultimate why. Because the greatest motivation, the greatest why for all of us for anything we do, and I talk about this a lot, and you may go, here we go again. I'm never going to stop. The reason that we exist as human beings, as a church, is that we are to love God with everything we got heart soul mind and strength and we are to also love people two ways as we love ourselves but also as Jesus loves us those are that's the bottom line to everything that we do as a church as human beings and A big part of loving God, as you read from Scripture, constantly through Scripture, it says, basically, if you love God, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will do what I say. That's a great motivation for us to love. We want to obey God, but we also want to follow his example on how God treats people, on how God makes room for people. It says this in Ephesians 5, uh, this is the foundation verse for today's message. Verse 1 and 2. It says this, imitate God. What does that mean? <laughs> it means imitate God. Do what God does uh, and do it exactly the way He does it all the time. You're going, right. At least try, right? Imitate God, therefore, in what, what, should, in what areas? Say it again. Everything Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his children. Then he says this, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. How do we know what God does that I can imitate him? You ever wonder that? Well, we have the Bible, we know God is good, He's awesome, all these characteristics of God, but God, really? I mean, how do I I know what you would do so that I can imitate you? Jesus. Jesus showed us what God does. Jesus did what God does. And He says, follow my example. So if you want to know what God does, if you want to know what you should do in life, you read the Gospels, and then you do everything that Jesus says we're to do. You follow his examples, his teaching and the things that he did. So the question for us this morning is, how can I imitate God's love for people? God's, God, God loves us. It says there, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So how does God love people in a way that I can imitate that? What do I do? I have four things. We're going to talk about this morning and how you can follow the example of Jesus Christ in loving people. Number one is this, right? This in your notes is the word compassion. Compassion is basically when I genuinely care about people and I care for people. Now this is more than having compassion for people is more than just tolerating them. All right. I mean, there's a lot of that right now, right? There's a lot of people you're going, man, do I have to put up with them? (laughs) Right? Yeah, you do, but it even goes beyond just putting up with people, with tolerating them. See, caring for someone, having compassion for someone, means that your love for someone requires you to do something for them. It's more than just having feelings and and good feelings and not bad feelings for someone. When you have compassion for someone, it drives you, it motivates you to actually do something about it, either to them or for them or with them. Here's God's attitude. Here's what he does. Uh, In Psalm 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of of compassion see God God doesn't just love he is love God just doesn't just have compassion he is filled with compassion everything that God does it it is out of an overflow of his love and compassion for you he can't help it God is a compassionate loving God he's filled with both of those And everything comes out of his overflow. Then Jesus tells us in John 15, the next verse. This is my commandment, love each other. Now this next phrase is the challenging part. In the same way that I have loved you. Think about that. I'd love for for you to just read through the Gospels sometime and, and, and just record every way that Jesus demonstrated love for people. And you go, (laughs) I got a long way to go. Wow, really? I mean, those are the comments, those are the feelings you get. He was just so perfect and so out of the ordinary in his love for us. And he wants us to follow the same way. Matter of fact, one of the ways that I can show my love for God is by loving other people. It says this in 1 John chapter 3. It says, and we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but does not show compassion, shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Now, two things. The first one is we'll go to the last part. If you see a person in need and you have the means by which to provide that need, but you don't, you don't show compassion, it literally says, how can be the love, how can the love of God be in you? The love of God in you requires that you help other people when you can. Okay, that's the first one. The second one goes even for, uh, further up in the verse where we read... Uh, So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters because that's the kind of love that Jesus had. Now, how many of you have ever given up your life for someone? It's a trick question. You wouldn't be here if you did. Okay, so good thing. No hands, right? (laughs) So what does this mean? Does it mean that you really aren't loving anybody until you actually die for them? I mean, that's the ultimate, right? talks about that's the ultimate thing that Jesus did for us. I think you know what it really means for us? Is that we love people so much that we're willing to sacrifice the things that are really, really important to us. My time. That's important. If I sacrifice of my time to help you, that's a big deal. If I sacrifice... My resources, my energy, my attention. How about, you know, my, my preferences and my way of doing things? You ever think about that one? We, you know, I think many of us would say, oh yeah, I would, give my, I would die for you, hoping it never happens, right? <laughs> I would give my life for you, just don't make me change my mind for you. Don't make, I just don't want to change my opinion for you. That's how many of us live. But did you know that giving your life for someone means not necessarily dying, but giving everything up that's important to me for the sake of you? We're going to talk about that in a little bit as well. So when Jesus says to us, he he says, when you, when your compassion for people causes you to help other people here's the thing it blesses both them and it blesses you compassion is the first thing the second thing number two is acceptance we accept people because God accepts people as well just as they are that's how God does now aren't you glad that God doesn't only accept the good ones You ever think about that? What if God only accepted those that deserved being accepted? Well, I think the room would be fairly empty and whoever was here would be watching a video of someone else. I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. Did you know the truth is? None of us are good enough to deserve God's choosing of us. None of us. We're not that good. We're not that holy. We're we're so undeserving. That's why we call it grace. It says this in John 6, 37. Jesus says, The Father gives me the people who are mine. Every one of them will come to me, and I will always accept them. Now, what does that phrase mean that every one of them? It means every person. See, God calls everyone. God's invitation for salvation is universal. It always has been. His arms are open for everyone. But the ones that come to Jesus are the ones that accept the offer of salvation that God has for us. Those that say, yes, I believe. God, I choose you. And everyone that chooses God, Jesus accepts them. No matter anything, no matter the situation they're in currently, no matter what they've ever done in their life, no matter their attitude, no matter the mess that they're in, Jesus says, I accept you just as you are. Come, and you're included. And then we ha- find in Romans 15, verse 7, Therefore, this is to us, okay, this, this, this verse is for us, Accept each other... Just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. So now, I mean, we're in awe at the way that God accepts people, right? Everybody. We're going, that's amazing. And then he turns around and he tells us. He says, now you, as my children, are to accept each other just as I have accepted you and I accept other people. That's what making room means for us. What does that mean? What does it look like? What does accepting other people really look like? Well, Colossians 3.13 gives us a clue. And it says this, Make allowance for each other's faults. In other words, make room in your heart for other people's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This means that you don't expect other people to be perfect. And you don't expect other people to act like a Christian until they actually become one. Sounds simple, but yet, how often do we do that, right? Now here's the, other, here's the other catch with this. Even when a person becomes a Christian, they don't always even act like it then, right? How about you? How about this past week, was there ever a time that you did not act like a Christian? <laughs> okay, yeah. So, But the problem is, so often we have these expectations for other people around us. And even people that don't even know Jesus yet. Why should we expect someone who has no clue about Jesus, about salvation, about how how to live and follow the Bible to, to do that? Yet we often do. And by the way, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. So what does all this mean? It means that you accept people the way they are right now just the way they are but you hang with them you have patience with them as you give room for god through the holy spirit to make changes in their lives you know so often i think you we may feel this way sometimes you probably talk to somebody who feels this way you invite them to come to jesus to get saved and they say well you know i, I know i i really should and, and i I know God could really help me, but you know what? As soon as I get my act together a little bit more, then I'll come to Jesus. That's like getting all cleaned up to take a bath. Right? I mean, it's like that's what the bath is for, is to clean you up. That's what coming to Jesus is for. So he can clean you up. He can change you. He can make you new because you will never get your act together Enough to come to God without Jesus Christ. That's where you start. And even, here's, here's the other part, we say, well, yeah, I agree with that. But how about those of us who've been a Christian for a while, and you've sort of gone off the rails a little bit, and you're feeling guilty. You're feeling like, ah, I don't know if God will take me back the way I am. Maybe if I, if I make some adjustments, I'll make some changes, then I'll come back to God, and then He'll take me back. You're thinking, the, you're thinking the same wrong way that other people are. You come to Jesus the way you are, and he accepts you. His arms are open wide. And he says, just come as you are. That great song, right? Just as I am. Without one plea, just come, Jesus. And then, number three. The third way that we follow the example of God is selflessness. Selflessness, that's when I put other people's needs ahead of my own. Now, here's the thing. You have many needs. I have many needs. I mean, we, both could, we all could fill up sheets of paper of the needs that we have in life. Emotional needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, mental needs, relationship needs, family needs, financial, I mean, on and on. We have needs, legitimate needs, but we also have wants and desires, right? And sometimes we get the two confused because our culture today is all about me. It's all about you being me. Not me, just me as it applies to you. Something like that. Me, mine, myself. I mean, several months ago, I talked about the fact that the fastest growing religion in the world today is the worship of self. Now, it's not an organized religion. Matter of fact, anybody can be a part of that religion. You can even be a Christian and be into worshiping yourself. It's just, it's all about you. God, I'll call my own shots. God, I'll take care of myself. I know you exist. And yeah, I do believe in you. And yeah, Jesus, you saved me, but I got the rest. And we we do things, our culture is things like. I need to make sure that I'm safe. I'm taken care of. I have everything I need. I have enough. It's all about me. It's about mine. It's about everything that I need in life. But we forget that there's people all around us. There are people around you that live around you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, the people you work with, the people you go to school with they have needs. Did you know that? There are a lot of needs out there. There are a lot of people that are dealing with a lot of things in life. And if you are stuck on you, you will never see them. That's that's the difference between selfishness and selflessness. Selfishness says it's about me. Selflessness says it's more about you and then me. Here's what it says in Philippians 2. Verse 3 and 4, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You know, this is a great verse. There's so many. I'll probably talk about a couple more of them. About how the way God does things, we call this kingdom principles. The way God does things in life is it's, it's like opposite of what how we would do it okay we wouldn't i mean with all the needs we have why would i think of someone else more than i think of myself isn't that odd you bet it's odd it's unnatural but that's what god says so in other words there's so many things in scripture that say if you are a follower of jesus christ this is how you do things But just know that they're going to be opposite of what you really want to do. In other words, whatever you have a need for in life, if you selflessly help someone else in need, God ends up taking care of your need. Does that make sense? It doesn't really, but it does. When you focus on taking care of you first, you will always have plenty of needs that are not going to get met. But if you focus first on helping other people in their need, God will make sure that everything's taken care of for you. Totally opposite of what makes sense here, right? These are called kingdom principles. It's also called the upside-down kingdom, (laughs) But that's how it works. Jesus says this. Well, he told us it's not not in the next verse. But we, we, we've seen this before. We we know it. You've seen bumper stickers, posters, wherever. Jesus says, you get more blessed when you give than when you receive. Okay? Our mind says, Well, that doesn't make sense. If I give more, then I don't have any. But God says, look, if you focus more on giving, I'll make sure that you receive plenty more, whatever it is. The more you help and serve others, the more that you are blessed and you are helped. And some of you know that. I mean, some of you have been serving this past week. You come away from those experiences and you go, well, that was awesome, man. I just, I got so much out. I feel so blessed that I could go and serve and help. Those of you who've gone on mission trips... You know, short-term mission trips, you've gone somewhere and you, you've helped somebody. Maybe you've built a church or, or just helped a family in need or a whole community. And you've done something and you've given of yourself. You always come back. Go, man, I know I really helped them, but man, I'm the one who really got blessed. Oh, just so amazing. That, that's how it works. When you are selfless, you're the one who gets blessed more. Jesus says this. In Mark 10, he says, Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many, for all of us. To be selfless simply means that you love other people so much that you want them to do well and to succeed even more than you do. Another word that describes selflessness is point number four. And this is sacrifice. All right, the word sacrifice, there's so many definitions, I was looking that up and so I thought, well, I'll just make up my own. Not really, but sort of. Okay, What does it mean to sacrifice? It means that I am willing to either do without something or to give up something that's valuable to me for the sake of something that's even worth more or greater than what I gave up. That's what sacrifice is about. Now, here's the thing. If you give up something... That is not that valuable to you. All right? Uh, you, you're, you're willing to give this up. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. You can have that. Um, it's called a garage sale. Okay? Or something thereof. All right? You, you do, you've done that, right? You've gone through. You say, you know what? i got a lot of stuff here. I've been hanging on to a lot of this stuff for a long time. And you're going, and you, as you're going through all your stuff, you're realizing, oh, Oh, and at one point in your life, it was valuable to you. It meant something to you. But you get to a point where you're going, uh, you know what, the value of that has really wore off for me. Yeah, I can do, do without that. That's not a sacrifice. That's just cleaning house, right? Now, here's the thing. If you go through all your stuff, and you make a pile over here of all the things you're willing to do without, We're going to, you know, here's my garage sale stuff. And then you have a pile of stuff over here that you're going, you know what? I really want to continue to hang on to this. You know what sacrifice is? It's selling this pile and giving this pile to goodwill. Okay? That's what sacrifice is like. It's when you're willing to, and you actually do, give up things that are valuable to you. Because you know that the end result is going to be something even greater or more valuable. It's of of worth, greater worth than what you gave up. An an example, you know, we're told to follow the example of Christ, of God. And we know this verse up and down, in and out. You've seen it all over the place. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he Gave. gave. You know... It says he gave his only son. Thinking about that this week. We skim over that verse and we're going, yeah, yeah, he gave his son. And we're to follow that example. And Lori and I have three daughters. We have three son-in-laws. We have eight grandchildren. And I wouldn't give up any of them for any of you. I just would. I'm just being honest, right? And God gave up the only one. I mean, the only one He had for you. He sacrificed His one and only Son for you. And I wrote this down, and I'm going to read this because I want it to come out right. It was worth more to God to see you in heaven than to keep his own son from suffering and dying on the cross. Pretty big deal, isn't it? And he says, follow my example in everything that you do. In Luke 9, verse 23, it says this, Then he, Jesus, said to them all, If anyone would come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me. Okay, that's important for me, for Jesus. will save it. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way not just your life but your way of doing things your agenda your desires whatever it is take up your cross daily and follow me that is what selflessness that is what sacrifice really looks like if you you know I think all of us have something inside of us that we want to make something of our lives right I mean, every leadership, you know, e- e- even some of the Christian leadership, teaching and material and the, the gurus out there, anyone who wants to be successful and great leader, it, it, it's all about how you can make yourself better. Be the best you you can be, and then you'll be somebody. You know, you know what Jesus says? If you want to be somebody, be a nobody. Put other people first. Die to yourself. Take up your cross. And then it's when you give your life, you lose your life, that you actually save it, and you become the greatest of all. Totally doesn't make sense. But that's how God does things. That's what sacrifice really looks like. So in this series and in this campaign and where we are as a church... As you seek God, and you ask him, God, what do you want me to do? The big question, I think, that if you're brave enough, the real question is, God, what do you want me to sacrifice for the purpose of making more room for more people? That's the issue. Then you listen. You listen and then obey. So what happens when I do all this? Okay, What happens when I willingly sacrifice of myself? What happens when I have compassion for other people and I put other people's needs above my own? And what happens when I truly accept people the way they are? Is there, is there a benefit to this other than I know that I'm obeying God? There's a satisfaction of going, okay, good. I'm, I'm doing what God wants me to do. There's a huge benefit. Look at the next verse. Matthew 19, here's what Jesus says. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake, okay, for the sake of Jesus Christ, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. What does that verse mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that you denounce and renounce your family. Sorry, guys, have nothing to do with you. I'm following Jesus. Well, we know from Jesus' teachings that's not at all what he's talking about, right? That's that's the extreme, and it's not what he would want. Here's what it means. It means that your desire, your willingness to follow Jesus... Means that you put him first in everything you do, even if it means sacrificing some things that are very, very important to you. And what happens when you do? <laughs> he says you will receive a blessing a hundred times greater than what you sacrificed, gave up, and you'll receive eternal life as well. Now, I'll go to there's a, another one up here on the screen, Luke 18. It's his version of this, saint, of of a, of this verse, this principle here, and it says, "They will be repaid many times over in this life, and will have eternal life in the world to come." Now, I just this is one of these. This is one of these verses principles that I'm going. God, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. Uh, I is this literal? Is this? metaphorical? Is this a lesson to learn? I, I just be I don't know. I don't know what it means when Jesus says that when you are willing to give up these things to follow me, you'll be blessed a hundred times over what you've given up. What does that look like? I don't know. Maybe some of you do. But I do know this. God blesses and rewards Your obedience and your sacrifice beyond your wildest imagination. I don't know what that looks like. For every one of us, it could be different. And then you also get heaven, eternal life, rewards in heaven as well, whatever that could be for you. It's sort of like the story in Matthew 25 where the master says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. I will bless you with more. That well done thing, I want to hear that someday, right? I think all of us do. I want you to hear it, my good and faithful servant. So the bottom line is this. When you truly, truly open up your heart and you make room for the people that God has put in your life and the people that he's going to put in your life, And you have compassion, real love and compassion for people. You accept people the way they are and don't demand that they change. And when they do, then I'll accept you. You embrace them. You walk with them in life. And then you're just a selfless person. You put other people ahead of yourself. But then sacrifice. Willing to give up the things that are very, very valuable to you for the sake of something even greater. I know that God rewards that. God blesses that. And he'll bless you in as many ways as there are people in here, I imagine. But here's a commitment. I put this in your notes. This is a commitment, I believe, for us as a church, hopefully for you as an individual, as a family, is this. We have, so, we have such a love and a compassion for the people in our community that we will do whatever it takes to provide a place for people to come and experience the life-changing love of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of God's family. Are you, are you willing to do whatever it takes to simply see more people come to Jesus? here maybe in your own family your own neighborhood wherever that might be, your workplace are you willing to do whatever it takes god did it took his own son to do that and he says follow my example in everything that you do